Yay! <laughs> Very good. Well, I think we've had a wonderful time. So lovely to hear different languages. One side of the tongue speaking in tongues um, and the interpretation, and there is another side, which I'm going to lead up to a bit later on. Um, 1969, I had five, five months working in Peru. Um, I, had, uh, I did a little bit of Spanish. Was that Spanish? One of them Spanish, wasn't it? Yeah, I knew that was Portuguese. Yeah, I didn't know it was Spanish. Yeah, we are. So um, the, the first thing I learned was um, pollo con papa fritas because I was hungry, and that means chicken with chips. So <laughs> and that's the first thing I learned. And um, of course, being five minutes, so you soon pick it up. But I, might, my, I had to learn a lot because I had to translate um, English engineering terms into Spanish ones. So it was a good learning curve as well. And, um, and I really enjoyed that time, you know, helping them to understand how production lines in factories should work from one thing and another. But yet yeah, so wonderful, and, and it's good, because I been, believe God's been charging our batteries this morning as we've been coming here. When you, when you sort of hear where I'm going this morning with our passage, <clears throat> Steve said we're in Luke, and we're reading a story about um, a guy which in... Uh, over the years, I've preached from this sermon. I've, I've sort of referred to this guy as a yuppie. He's um, young, an upward, progressively mobile person. He's a ruler, and he's rich. He's got a lot of wealth. No, it's not you, Wally. So it's no good. I know Sue's poking you. It's not. He was young, mate. All right. It's not you for start. Okay. So, uh, so yes. <laughs> yeah, he seemed to have everything in our story. But, uh, I mean, if we just reflect on Luke in general just a moment, it was only a few weeks ago we were looking at a, a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. And um, maybe a couple of weeks' time we're going to be looking at Zacchaeus. He obviously had a lot of money, but in fact what he gave away. So he had, <clears throat> he had a wealth, and you've got this man in the middle who's also rich. So you have three rich, three rich guys, so something must be going on here. Uh, one didn't get anything out of it. Um, the other one got halfway, and Zacchaeus, he got it all uh, with God. And um, so that there are lessons for us. So um, as we reflect on these people in Luke, we're going to read about this rich ruler um, in, in Luke 18, and it begins at verse 18. I'm just going to tell you where I'm going with this. I'm going to look at this man who was living with half measures. A man who was living with half measures. We see him living, approaching Jesus as he comes. He goes so far and no further. Okay? But this is also true in the Christian life. He goes so far and no further. And why is that? He knew only half the truth theologically and didn't pursue what God really wanted from him. So he's halfway there. So he's a lap, he was a man living with half measures. So you may see something of that as we read the story together. Verse 18, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, 
Do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, one thing you still lack. See, he'd gone so far, he's just pointing him in the right direction. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have, excuse me, and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Adrian was reading from Revelation just now, that view into the future. See, God's charging our batteries this morning. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. Luke could have said, we were sad. He says he's very sad. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one, no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time, in this life and in the age to come eternal life it's difficult to measure the intent of this man as he comes to jesus but uh, matthew and mark gives it gives us other insights into the into him he matthew said he ran mark says he fell down on his knees before him so it's difficult to measure his intent but his question his question was good A couple of weeks ago, um, Barb had a word about asking the burning question. Do you remember that? Asking the burning question. To have a sense of need of our eternity and where we stand before God is a burning question. It is a burning question. So pick up on that. I'm not sure if a burning question surfaced when Barb gave that amongst anybody here. Um, but wherever we are, and history proves that the question that he asked is a burning question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I need this experience. I need to know where I stand before God. Now, it's, it's interesting because eternal life, the kingdom of God, and salvation are used in the same context here. So there's that sense of gospel truth embedded into this story so what he's doing here is a measure of what god calls us to do is to come before jesus to hear what he has to say and respond to the message that he gives us that's a simple gospel message the words of jesus are powerful for each one of us and so the question is a burning one it must be a burning question because it's still being asked by many today 
in the story of Acts, after Peter had preached, the people said, well, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus, and you will receive the forgiveness of sins. Well, what must I do? It's a good thing to put us, ourselves before God to ask him questions. We have the word of God, and so what we know what the answer to do, what we, each one of us has to do. To turn to him and give our lives over to him. For 2,022-ish years, it has been part the start of a journey for many, many people who've asked the same question. And they've started a journey with Jesus. They've started the journey with Jesus, finding out what it is to know joy, hope, peace, love, forgiveness, contentment. So it's still a burning question. Even that expanse of time tells us it's such an important question that it's a burning question. I mean, I look around this morning and I, I make an assessment that most of you know Jesus Christ as Saviour. But I've been in many places before when I know that people don't know Jesus. And I've said to them, this is the question you have to ask. Many preachers over those 2022-ish years have faced their congregation, their listeners, whatever you might call them with this question, where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? We stand before God as knowing that Jesus has secured our eternity. We can't secure it ourselves. I think that's probably in the heart of this guy who came to Jesus was the chance that he could secure it himself. In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, that's a book in the Old Testament, it says God has set eternity in their hearts. That means there will be an intuitive inner yearning, a burning question about what's beyond death. Does my life just end? Am I just annihilated at the end? And the answer is no. When we die, our spirit returns to God who gave it. And Hebrews tells us that it's appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. The biblical truth is quite clear. In this life, we need to face God and know the answer to that question, where will I spend eternity? So it's a good gospel question. It's a burning question. I'm not sure how it burnt in this rich young ruler because he asked the question and then walked away from it in the end and he became very sad. The end of the story proves the question for him to be a half-hearted one and not prepared to pay the cost for him personally at that time to pay the cost, what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. And many today realize that, um, 
and they put it this way, they see it in the negative mainly, I think, that, uh, well, I would have to give up to do that, I'll have to, have to do that, I'm not going to do that. Well, the whole question is, God has appointed us to eternal life, to live with him forever. And Jesus is the only one that secured that for each one of us. I'm not sure, you know, how this question, what it really meant to him. Maybe it was simply to complete his portfolio of assets. It was the one thing that he couldn't actually lay his hand on and grasp for and get. It was not a commodity or else he would have bought it. It was an attainment, but it looked like he tried. But he found that he didn't realize anything. It wasn't possible. It wasn't a nat- as a Jew, it wasn't a natural inheritance. As a child, as a son of God, as having the oracles of God, a person who was privileged to receive the truth of God historically and as a nation, as a people, there was no... He couldn't rely on that inheritance. And, may, and lastly, the one thing he may have been relying upon to some extent would be his wealth and good material life. Because it was considered amongst the Jewish elitism, you know, that to have, to have wealth and to have money, that was God's determining eye of approval upon you. And it was incorrect theology. It was incorrect. It wasn't mixed with faith. And he was becoming doubtful about that, so maybe he asked, that's why he asked the question. So in a sense, he's seen as a man of half measures. And there's lots we could bring out in that story. But just to pick on one or two things, I want to go on to things that can easily be for us living lives of half measure first of all the man went away sad no one ever coming to Jesus and receiving his salvation will end up with a sad experience when Philip went down to Samaria in Acts 8 we read a story that Philip went to Samaria and told them about Jesus. And we read that there was joy in that city as they heard the good news about Jesus. They encountered Jesus. The following story of the eunuch in the desert speaking with Philip. He went on his way rejoicing. Paul and Silas in prison were singing and praying to God. So his question turned out to be half-hearted and half-motivated. In a sense, he's only halfway there. And Jesus put some commandments before him, only half, some of them, and he said, all these I've kept. You see, he went so far and no farther. And just for the sake of time and the sake of getting what we can out of this story, it's quite easy for any one of us to be living with half measures in our lives. 
In the New Testament, we read this verse, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Yeah? The old is gone, and the new has come. It's a story of two halves. Sometimes we're just satisfied that the old has gone, and we're struggling to get the new, which is to come. Here's a man in our story who wanted to get rid of something which he couldn't find, but he was unable to reach out for the new which should have come. That's the wonder of the gospel. New creation in Christ, the old has gone, and the new has come. In, uh, in Corinthians 15, where um, Paul the writer and the apostle in the New Testament was talking about the resurrection... And he said, if in this life only we have hope, we of all men most miserable. The sense of the resurrection puts us into the place of excited about the future. Adrian was reading this morning. Being excited about the future and knowing God's way and his word for us. A man of half measures... The same man, Paul, the writer and the apostle, he said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I forget what's behind and I press it. Are we pressing on? Are we pressing into? Are we seeking more from God? Of the two brothers, Jacob and Esau, a story in the Old Testament, Esau was hungry. And he placed more on satisfying his hunger than on blessings and covenants of his birthright. When we're in Christ Jesus, we have a birthright. We have an inheritance, which is for us. The thing with Esau is he sold his birthright for a meal. And very easy it's as Christians sometimes to be selling our birthright, to be giving up, to be not pressing on and moving on into the things of God. Let's not be in danger of selling anything that belongs to our birthright. There were 12 tribes of Israel, and strangely enough, one of them was referred to as the half-tribe of Manasseh. Why was that? Because half of the tribe didn't want to go into the promised land. They wanted to settle the wrong side of Jordan. And the other half of the tribe went on for their inheritance in Jordan. And so writers afterwards referred to them as the half-tribe of Manasseh. They were divided. And sometimes churches can be divided. There are the half want to press on and move on and get into the things of the God, and the others who are prepared to settle. Let us not be a church who are a people of half-measures. We need to be a people moving on.
the gospel is believe and be baptized. If we, the believing part is actually the baptism. That's the faith aspect of our salvation. If we believe and are not baptized, we're living as a person with half measures. The challenge is be baptized. That's God's word to us. And just as this rich man didn't take the word of Jesus, by not being baptized, we're not taking the word of Jesus. And we need to move on. We need to move on into the things of God. I've seen people in the past who have just said, well, I don't think it's important and I can't do it. I'm not ready for it. Well, the word is believe and be baptized. It's a simple request that we do that, to own Jesus. Believing is the knowledge bit. Being baptized is the faith bit. So if we say, I have faith and I'm not baptized, there's a bit of dichotomy here what's going on. Because the gospel message calls us to believe and be baptized. That's water baptism, living with half measures. But then going on, and this is where I'm coming to, is our experience of the Holy Spirit. In one story in Acts, going on in Acts 8, it talks about... Um, the apostles coming down from Jerusalem, when they heard that people had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, these two guys made a journey from Jerusalem down to Samaria that they might know that these people had received the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's read about there, like that. I'm just going to read it in Acts 8. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. My challenge here this morning, is, and maybe we can we'll do this it within communion, is for, I know there are several people here who want more. I notice some people here who speak in tongues, the other tongues, not the language you had this morning, but speak in the spiritual tongue, who've never voiced that out in the gathered church. Now, tongues is meant to be voiced out in the gathered church so that their interpretation can be given. I know it's easy to speak in tongues when no one's really hearing you. You can just hear what's going on. And my challenge is this morning as we come just a bit later to worship, if you've never prayed out in tongues, I can't force you to do this, and I'm not going to call anyone particularly to do it, but I just want there to be a release of the Holy Spirit here this morning. And I just want to challenge you, if you've not spoken out in a tongue, that you step up and do it. Beacon Church, there's a breach in the wall. Jerusalem had a wall around it. Sometimes there were breaches in the wall that need to be repaired. And I think there's a breach in the wall for us as Beacon. We need to pursue the Holy Spirit himself, the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit. We don't want to live with half measures. We don't want to be people living with half measures.
where Jesus, the New Testament writers talk about the fullness of joy. Jesus, when he served his disciples in John 13, Jesus, to show the full extent of his love, he didn't hold back to show the full extent of his love, he put on a towel and washed their feet and served them. Now, just as I close with this, I'm going to, David and I in here are going to come up. I'm just going to question them about their, their, their testimony that they wrote in the Bulletin Weekly Update. David and I, come up, please, will you? If you read their testimony, you would have understood that they've been Christians for several years. But then they were, they were either convicted or challenged about being baptised in the Holy Spirit. So what happened at Spring Harvest, was it? Spring Harvest, 1984. Can we just have, just have the mic? Is this microphone on? Spring Harvest, 1984. It seems an awful long time ago. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, okay. So what, what made you realise something was missing? Well, we... Not the story quite short, don't Just you? short bits, yes. yes. Well, we, we went to a seminar that was about covenant love. Mm-hmm. It was based on Hosea. And um, the story of Hosea is that he was told by God to go and marry Goma, who was a prostitute. And she kept leaving him and going back to her old life. And yet... Hosea was God kept telling Hosea to go back and marry her again and welcome him back into the family. And it was really, the story was that, uh, that Jesus came and, in a sense, pursued us. It's not us that pursues Jesus, but it was that Jesus, God's Son, came and pursued us. And we'd lived a Christian life. I'd become a Christian when I was quite young, and I knew later on. And we realised we were living a life of what you said, half measures. We weren't really, in a sense, had that. I sort of, I would explain it at the time. I felt as my Christian relationship, it was like being part of a club. It wasn't this deep relationship with Jesus and through Jesus, God. And I was really struck by that. And that's, that's what starts to think about these things. Okay. So what, did you, I mean, did you go up the front or anything or respond to the call? So what happened? Um, I, uh, he was preaching about this and I just started to cry. And I just had this feeling... I know my mother loved me, but she didn't really, because of her history, she didn't know how really to love. And I know David loved me. But I had this overwhelming feeling of love, and I just started crying. And it was just a feeling of being warm and loved. And I just knew that God and Jesus was there saying to me, I love you. Not all right, he loves everybody, but he says he loved me in an everlasting love, a love that would never die. 
And it was just that feeling of really knowing that he really loved me and that he would have died for me if I was the only one. Mm. And it was that that really I, I knew that what I had been, all mm. oh right, I was paddling. Mm. I needed to be entering in. Yeah, well, in, in your testimony, you said you, you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, so what, anything significant you want to say beyond that? Yes. Um, well, I, I felt different, and the friends that we were with straight away, we hadn't said anything, um, but they knew something had happened. We went back to our church and we said, we're not going to say anything. Um, we just see. And all through the church, without realising, they were all saying, see David and Eileen, what's gone on? What's happened? And somebody said, oh, they're in a mountaintop. They'll come down this time next year. <laughs> but we didn't. And then the following year, somebody came up to us, another couple. What was it? I wanted to know. And they came to Spring Harvest. And so gradually... Within our church, we were getting this little group of people who, like you said, we were in, all right, we'd got the head knowledge. They hadn't got the heart knowledge and the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Lovely. Thanks very much. A great couple. I've known them for about 60 years now. And, uh... But my challenge is today that the opportunity... Now, you don't need someone to pray with you in order that to receive the Holy Spirit. But I think at that point, there needs to be a stepping forward, a willingness. And I believe God's going to move and bring people to speak out in tongues as they've never done before. So, Father, we just come to you now and we say, we don't want to be a people of half measures. We just want to move on into the things you have for us. Lord, would you let, let, Lord, the gifts flow in this place, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Lord, let this congregation be willing this morning. I know, and I just say to you how vulnerable I am because a lot of the time you feel half-hearted and we need the Holy Spirit to make those changes in us. But it's that willingness to allow him in so that we might know another baptism, if you like, another drenching. The old has gone, and the new has come. In Jesus' name. Thanks, Steve.